Lesson 11 for June 8-14, to Families of Faith, read by Dr. Percy Harold. Sabbath afternoon, June 8. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you as individuals, but most of us are members of families. In fact, we're all members of families in one way or another. And as we open your word this week, we're going to be looking more at the function of families and the faith that is built there. Be with us through your Holy Spirit. May your word actually talk to us and shout to us about what you want from us, but also provide us the comfort and the faith that we need in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. Therefore, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's read that again, Hebrews 12 verses 1 and 2. Therefore, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and was sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. No matter what stage of life we are in, or what we have been through, or will face down the road, we exist against the background of culture. Our parents, our children, our homes, our families, even our church, all are impacted by the culture in which they exist, and greatly too. Though other factors were at play, the change of the Sabbath to Sunday was a powerful example of how the culture of the time powerfully and negatively influenced the church. Every time we drive by a church and see a sign for Sunday services, we are given a stark reminder of just how far-reaching the power of culture can be. Christian families confront cultural changes all the time. Sometimes the cultural influences can be good. Most times, though, the influence is negative. The great news is that the power of the gospel gives us light, comfort and strength to deal with the challenges that culture can bring. This week, we will look at how we can be families of faith as we seek to, as it says in Philippians 2.15, become blameless and harmless children of God, without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Sunday, June 9. Hold fast what is good. As the gospel circles the globe, Christians encounter different cultures and practices, many of which pertain to family and social relationships. One of the great questions for Christian missionaries is in regard to how they should relate to various cultural norms about many things, including family relationships they might personally find uncomfortable. Question. Read Acts 10 verses 1 to 28 and verses 34 and 35. 
What can we learn here about our need to overcome our own barriers and prejudices when dealing with other cultures? Acts 10, beginning at verse 1, There was a certain man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment, a devout man, and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people, and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid, and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your arms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa, and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel was who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So, when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray, about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. Now, while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a great reputation among all the nations of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them, and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation? But God has shown me 
that I should not call any man common or unclean. And verse 34 and 5. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Christ's death was for the sins of every human being, everywhere. Many people simply do not know this great truth yet. To bring this news with an invitation to respond is the evangelistic mission of Christians. Because God shows no partiality, Christians are called to treat everyone with respect and integrity, giving them a chance to embrace the good news that is for them as well. Question. What conclusions did early Christian missionaries reach regarding the presentation of the gospel to other cultures? What principle can we draw from these texts? Acts chapter 15 verses 19 and 20. Therefore I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. And verses 28 and 29. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. And First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And First Thessalonians 5, verses 21 and 22. Test all things, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Though every culture mirrors the fallen condition of the people within it, cultures also may have beliefs that are compatible with Scripture, even useful to the cause of the Gospel. The value placed upon close relationships in family and community in many parts of the world is an example. Christians can uphold and strengthen that which is good and in keeping with biblical principles. At the same time, God's truth must not be compromised. Church history sadly shows that compromise and accommodation to cultures has yielded a patchwork of pseudo-Christian beliefs posing as authentic Christianity. Satan claims to be the god of this world and happily spreads confusion. But Jesus has redeemed this world and his spirit guides his followers into all truth, as we read in John 16, verse 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. So to finish today, how much of your faith is shaped by your culture? And how much is biblical truth? How can we learn to discern between the two? Be prepared to discuss your answer in class.
Monday, June 10. The Power of Culture on Family Genesis 18 verse 19 reads, For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord, to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. Though they might come in various configurations, families are the building blocks of society. Thus, many distinct cultural traits for various societies are directly tied to family. For instance, in one ancient culture, it was deemed a man's responsibility to eat the corpses of his dead parents. In another, a man who wanted a bride had to bring her father a dowry of shrunken heads from a rival tribe. Even in modern times, ideas relating to children, courtship, divorce, marriage, parents and so forth vary widely. As we spread our message to these various cultures, we have to learn how to relate to them in ways that, while not compromising our beliefs, don't cause unnecessary problems. At the same time, and closer to home, we have to be very aware of just what cultural influences impact our families. Question. In what ways did culture impact family life in the following examples? What principles can we learn from these examples? First of all, Genesis 16, verses 1 to 3. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go in to my maid, perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. And Genesis 35, verses 1 to 4. Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there, and make an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. And Jacob said to his household, and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign foods that are among you, purify yourselves, and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and has been with me in the way which I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands, and the earrings which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree which was by Shechem. And Ezra chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. Now while Ezra was praying, and while he was confessing, weeping, and bowing down before the house of God, a very large assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him from Israel, for the people wept very bitterly. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, one of the sons of Elam, spoke up and said to Ezra, We have trespassed against our God, and have taken pagan wives from the peoples of the land. Yet now there is hope in Israel in spite of this. Now therefore let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and those who have been born to them according to the advice of my master and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. Arise, for this matter is your responsibility. We also are with you. Be of good courage and do it. 
Then Ezra arose and made the leaders of the priests, the Levites, and all the Israel swear an oath that they would do according to his word. So they swore an oath. Then Ezra rose up from before the house of God and went into the chamber of Jehonanan, the son of Elishab. And when he came there, he ate no bread and drank no water, for he mourned because of the guilt of those from the captivity. And they issued a proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem to all the descendants of the captivity that they must gather at Jerusalem, and that whoever would not come within three days, according to the instructions of the leaders and elders, all his property would be confiscated, and he himself would be separated from the assembly of those from the captivity. So all the men of Judah and Benjamin gathered at Jerusalem within three days. It was the ninth month, on the twentieth of the month, and all the people sat in the open square of the house of God, trembling because of this matter, and because of heavy rain. Then Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, You have transgressed, and you have taken pagan wives, adding to the guilt of Israel. Now therefore make confession to the Lord God of our fathers, and do his will. Separate yourselves from the peoples of the land, and from the pagan wives. Then all the assembly answered and said with a loud voice, Yes, as you have said, so we must do. But there are many people. It is the season for heavy rain, and we are not able to stand outside. Nor is this the work of one or two days, for there are many of us who have transgressed in this matter. Please, let the leaders of our entire assembly stand, and let all those in our cities who have taken pagan wives come at appointed times, together with the elders and judges of their cities, until the fierce wrath of our God is turned away from us in this matter. Only Jonathan the son of Ashael, and Jehaziah, the son of Tikvah, opposed this. And Meshullam and Shabbatai, the Levite, gave them support. Then the descendants of the captivity did so, and Ezra the priest, with certain heads of the father's households, was set apart by the father's households, each of them by name, and they sat down on the first day of the tenth month to examine the matter. By the first day of the first month, they finished questioning all the men who had taken pagan wives. And among the sons of the priests who had taken pagan wives, the following were found of the sons of Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and his brothers, Maaseah, Eleazar, Jareb, and Gedaliah. And they gave their promise that they would put away their wives, and being guilty, they presented a ram of the flock as their trespass offering. Also, of the sons of Immer, Hanani, and Zebediah, and of the sons of Haram, Messiah, Eliajah, Elijah, Shemaiah, Jehiel, and Isaiah, and of the sons of Pesha, Illinois, Messiah, Ishmael, Nathaniel, Josabad, and Elisa, and of the Levites, Jobad, Shimei, Keliah, the same as Kalita, Pethaniah, Judah and Eliezer, also of the singers, Elishab, and the gatekeepers, Shalom, Tedim, and Eri, and others of Israel, of the sons of Parosh, Ramos, Jediah, Malchiah, Mejamin, Eliezer, Malchijah, and Benina, 
of the sons of Elam, Methina, Zechariah, Jahil, Abdi, Jeremoth, and Elia, and of the sons of Zatu, Elianai, Eliashib, Mataniah, Jeremoth, Zabad, and Aziza, and of the sons of Bajai, Jehunan, Jashab, Sheol, and Ramoth, and of the signs of Pehoth Moab, and of the sons of Pehoth Mahab, Edna, Chalel, Beniah, Messiah, Mataniah, Bezalel, Binuai, and Manasseh, and of the sons of Haram, Eliza, Ishajah, Malkijah, Shemaiah, Shimeon, Benjamin, Malak, and Shemariah, and of the sons of Hashem, Matanai, Matatha, Zabad, Eliphalet, Jeremiah, Manasseh, and Shimei, and of the sons of Benai, Medai, Amram, Ewell, Beniah, Bediah, Chalua, Vena, Miramoth, Elishab, Mathaniah, Matanai, Jesai, Benai, Bittai, Shimei, Shimaliah, Nathan, Adonhiah, Mekadai, Ba, Shashai, Sharai, Azarel, Shimala, Shimara, Shalom, Amariah, and Joseph. And of the sons of Nebo, Jael, Matthiah, Zabad, Zabina, Jedi, Joel, and Benahiah. All these had taken pagan wives, and some of them had wives by whom they had children. And First Kings chapter 11, verse 1, But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. None of us live in a vacuum. All of us and our families are impacted by the culture in which we live. Our responsibility as Christians is to exist within our culture the best we can, keeping that which is in harmony with our faith while shunning, as much as possible, that which conflicts with it. So to finish today, what things in your particular culture are helpful to family life and in harmony with the Bible? What things are not? How can you best adapt your faith to your culture without compromising essential truths? Tuesday, June 11. Sustaining families through seasons of change. Change is an inescapable, unsettling occurrence in families, regardless of whatever culture they live in. Some change is related to predictable passage through the life cycle. Other change is unpredictable, such as deaths, disasters, war, illnesses, family moves or career failures. Many families face economic and social changes in their communities and countries. Other changes are directly related to the culture. 
Question. Below are some examples of great, even traumatic changes people faced. Using your imagination, put yourself in their positions. How did these changes impact their family life? What mechanism would you have to help cope? In what ways might you have reacted differently? First of all, Abraham, Sarah and Lot in Genesis 12 verses 1 to 5. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. And Esther chapter 2, verses 7 to 9. And Mordecai had brought up Hadassah, that is, Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman was lovely and beautiful. When her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So it was, when the king's command and decree were heard, and when many young women were gathered at Shushan, the citadel, under the custody of Haggai, that Esther also was taken to the king's palace, into the care of Haggai, the custodian of the women. Now the young woman pleased him, and she obtained his favour. So he readily gave beauty preparations to her, besides her allowance. Then seven choice maidservants were provided for her from the king's palace, and he moved her and her maidservants to the best place in the house of the women." And Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans." And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, and to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into the favour and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. 
And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear, my lord, the king, who has appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had sent over, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servant for ten days, and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you, and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies, and, as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter, and tested them ten days. And at the end of ten days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink, and gave them vegetables. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now, at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. With change comes the experience of loss and the anxiety of uncertainty as to one's immediate future. Depending on a family's ability to adjust to changes, these experiences can propel people to new levels of growth and appreciation for spiritual things, or they can lead to stress and anxiety. Satan exploits the disruption changes bring, hoping to introduce doubt and distrust in God. The promises of God's word, the resources of family and friends, and the assurance that their lives were in God's hands help many heroes and heroines of faith cope successfully with momentous life upheaval. And so to finish the day, if you know someone, or even a whole family, who is facing a traumatic change, do something in a practical way to give them some help and encouragement. Wednesday, June 12, Toward a First Generation Faith Question, what crisis of faith developed in Israel after Joshua and his peers died? Judges, chapter 2, beginning at verse 7. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Now Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was one hundred and ten years old, and they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnath-Heres, in the mountains of Ephraim, and on the north side of Mount Gash. 
When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, and they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them, and they bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. Studies of how values and beliefs in organisations such as churches are transmitted to subsequent generations show that the founders have very high levels of commitment to the beliefs. They were the ones who first championed them. Within a generation or two, many lose sight of the principles behind the values. They may go along with the organisation, but often from habit. In subsequent generations, habits tend to crystallise into traditions. The founder's passion is no longer present. Question. It has been said that God has no grandchildren, only children. What do you think that means? Let's look at John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. But as many as received him... To them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And John chapter 3 verse 7. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And First John chapter 5 verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. A common approach to transmitting values through long generations of Christianity has been for older ones simply to tell the youth what they believe. Learning what one's parents believe or what the church believes is not personal faith, however. Being a Christian is more than belonging to an organisation with a history and a dogma. True faith isn't something genetic, isn't something that is passed on naturally from one generation to another. Each one needs to know Christ for himself or herself. Parents can do only so much. The church as a whole, and parents in particular, need to do all they can to create an environment that will make young people want to make that right choice. But, in the end, a generation is saved or lost for the gospel, one person at a time. And so to finish today, Joe, coming out of atheism, joined the Seventh-day Adventist Church as an adult after a powerful conversion experience. He married an Adventist woman and had a few children, whom they of course raised in the faith. One day, thinking about the spiritual condition of his children, he said, Oh, if only my children could have the experience that I had. If you had been there, what would you have said to him? Thursday, June 13, 21st Century Runners In his popular Bible paraphrase, The Message, Eugene Peterson uses message wherever the biblical word for gospel appears. 
The good news about Jesus is truly the message still needed by the world today. Christian families are called to experience it together and to share it in whatever culture they live. Question, how would you summarize the message using the following texts? Matthew 28, verses 5 to 7. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And Romans 1, verses 16 and 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, The just shall live by faith. And 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 to 21. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The earliest news the disciples ran everywhere with was of the resurrection of Jesus. Christian families today join a long line of runners proclaiming, He is risen, as he said in Matthew 28 verse 7. The reality of his resurrection makes credible everything else Jesus said about himself, about God and his love for sinners, about forgiveness and about the assurance of eternal life by faith in him. Passionate about the gospel. Scripture gives glimpses of the gospel's sweeping effect on the lives of Jesus' early followers. They opened their homes for Bible study, they prayed and ate together, shared money and resources, and took care of each other. Whole households embraced the message. Were they suddenly flawless people? No. Were there some conflicts and discord among them? Yes, but somehow these followers of Christ were different. They acknowledged their need for God and for each other. They put a priority on unity and harmony at home and at church endeavouring to fulfil the Gethsemane prayer of Jesus in John 17, verses 20 to 23, which reads, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. 
and the glory which he gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. They witness to each other and to unbelievers with boldness, even putting their lives at risk for their beliefs. So must it be for us. Even in the current age, jaundiced as it is toward godly things, people who are excited about something still get a hearing. The Spirit longs to fill human hearts with excitement about the Gospel. When the good news really becomes as good in our hearts as is is within the Word, sharing will be spontaneous and unstoppable. And so to finish today, what changes might need to be made in our own family that could help it to be a better harbinger of the message we have been called to share? Friday, June 14. No Respect of Persons with God. Quoting from Gospel Workers, page 330, we read, The religion of Christ uplifts the receiver to a higher plane of thought and action, while at the same time it presents the whole human race as alike the objects of the love of God, being purchased by the sacrifice of His Son. At the feet of Jesus, the rich and the poor, the learned and the ignorant, meet together with no thought of caste or worldly preeminence. All earthly distinctions are forgotten as we look upon him whom our sins have pierced. The self-denial, the condescension, the infinite compassion of him who was highly exalted in heaven puts to shame human pride, self-esteem and social caste. Pure, undefiled religion manifests its heaven-born principles in bringing into oneness all who are sanctified through the truth. All meet as blood-bought souls, alike dependent upon Him who has redeemed them to God. And that brings us to our five discussion questions for this week. 1. As a class, discuss your answers to Sunday's study. 2. What principles can we find in Ellen White's quote above that, if applied, would revolutionize our family lives? 3. How well has your local church done in nurturing the younger generations of believers? What can you as a class do to help the church in this important task? 4. What are the challenges of trying to pass on faith to another generation? And 5. In what ways does the culture you live in impact your family life for good? And in what ways does it impact it for evil? Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled Powerhouse for God and it's by Andrew McChesney of Adventist Mission. 
an elderly man stopped in Delcy Nicely's family-owned store in rural West Virginia with a request. I'd like to see you in church this Sabbath, he said. Nicely didn't want to go. She had been raised in the Seventh-day Adventist church and had attended Adventist schools, but she had left the church as an adult, gotten married and opened a store selling farm produce, groceries and chainsaws. Still, she didn't want to flatly reject the man, Kester Erskine, whom she had known since childhood. Erskine used to drive to her parents' farm every Sabbath and pack her and her eleven brothers and sisters into his car, including in the trunk, and take them to church. Now Erskine was in the store waiting for an answer to his invitation. I don't have proper clothes, nicely said. Erskine returned the next week and nicely offered another excuse. OK, I'll go if I'm not sick, she said. That Friday, she was hospitalised with a serious blood clot. That scared her, and she resolved not to use health as an excuse to skip church. Two weeks after the hospital stay, Erskine stopped by the store with a book, National Sunday Law, about how the Sabbath was changed to Sunday. Nicely read the 94-page book by Adventist pastor A. Jan Markison that afternoon, marking the pages as she went along. She read the book again that evening, and a third time the next day. She thought, I went to Adventist church school and academy, and I know all this. Why haven't I been in church? I couldn't think of a good reason, nicely told Adventist Mission, so I went to church and haven't missed a Sabbath since then. Today, nicely, a sprightly 63-year-old with a ready smile is a powerhouse for God. She has led many evangelistic meetings, including a series during a statewide evangelistic campaign funded by a 2015 13th Sabbath offering. She also has graded thousands of Bible correspondence studies, and many people have been baptized through her influence. Nicely said, God must have a sense of humor. Ever since she claimed not to have anything to wear to church, her wardrobe has been full. The Lord has seen fit that I have had plenty of decent clothes since that time, she said. You have been listening to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide by Dr. Percy Harold from Queensland, Australia. This service is brought to you by Hope Channel, the Sabbath School Department and Christian Services for the Blind. Remember, God is always faithful.